I, it was something in the, in her eyes when we were talking at the table before I had my meltdown moment. She looked me straight in the eyes and had a conversation that you don't have with a lot of people. We had that meaningful conversation right at the, the very first meeting. He's really my soulmate. And I feel very fortunate that I'm going to have the second half of my life with him because I'm experiencing something I didn't experience before. And I'm so glad that I'll be given this gift, you know, to, to experience this and to truly know what love really is. Take a girl and a guy, and they fall madly in love and form a family. Sprinkle in some counseling degrees and a doctorate, a dream of transforming relationships as we know it. And 20 years later, we give you power couple Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. And this is their podcast, Couples Synergy. You're listening to Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian with Couples Synergy. I'm Dr. Ray. And I'm Jean. And this is our podcast about love marriage and relationships check us out online at couplesynergy.com and be sure to subscribe to our podcast or send us any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear more about and now on to couples synergy an in-depth look at love marriage and relationships where we bring you our experiences with working with thousands of couples for over 15 years you know every day we get to hear intimate details about a couple's celebrations disappointments and everyday challenges We've often wished these stories were shared because we know we are more similar than different. And so we created not only an avenue where you can hear about people's intimate lives, but an atmosphere where people come over to our home pub, pour a drink, and share their stories. People like today's guests, Chris and Leslie. Hello and welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Hi, guys. Hi. Thank you so much for agreeing to come over and, and be on our podcast and tell your story. And your story is a very interesting one and it aligns with the topic of our podcast today. And that is finding love after divorce. But before we get to that, why don't you guys tell us a little bit about yourself? How old are you? Uh, what do you do for a living? Etc. Cetera, et cetera. I, I am 49 and I'm actually a corporate controller. Been in this industry my entire life for the most part. So I have two kids, daughter that will be... 21 in May and a son that uh, will be 19 in December. So this fall will be an exciting time because we'll be empty nesters or I'll be, we'll be empty nesters. Very fun. Yes. Very <laughs> excited. And Chris, what about you? I am 54. Uh, sometimes that's hard to say. But <laughs> be double I was just a number. <laughs> yep. So I'm, I work for a big uh, consulting firm and I run training operations, which is pretty much what I've done for most part of the last 30 years. I'm a military veteran, spent the first 10 years of my adult life in the Navy. Thank and you then, for uh, your service. Thank you. And since then, uh, I've been working in corporate training and I have collectively four girls. was married 20 years previously. All right. Awesome. So can you guys tell us a story of how you met? That's a funny story. So we actually were introduced to each other by one of my neighbors. And actually that neighbor, which is Chris's sister, we lived in the same subdivision for, God, probably 12, 14 years. Her oldest daughter and my youngest son, or my son, were in class together. So that's how we met. It was ironic because she was driving out of the subdivision 
and she stopped because there was moving trucks at the house because nobody knew we were moving. And she pulled up and she said, oh, my gosh, what's going on? I said, I move it. And by the way, I'm getting divorced. So we just connected and her and I had uh, started meeting, you know, getting together. And one day she just said, hey, would you meet my brother? I think you guys would be a great match. And I was like, sure. So it took about four months, maybe three, four months for us to actually meet. I think she started that conversation with me in the fall. and I, We met in February, that following February. So we were introduced by a mutual family member friend. And, and how long ago was that? That will be... 15. Uh, it was... 20, yeah. yeah, 2015. 2015. So three years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and Chris, what was your perspective of how you guys met? Well, I, after I had moved out and was living on my own, my sister came to me and said she had somebody she wanted me to meet. She thought that uh, I'd get along really well with this person. I didn't know it was Leslie at the time. And I remember saying, no, not right now. I'm doing other things and, and wasn't really interested. So that's actually why things took so many months. She started talking to me, I think, in October about it. And finally, in February, I said, all right, I'll, uh, I'll get together with her. And we were invited or I was invited to come on a Thursday night to Finn McCool's and Crystal Lake. And we were supposed to have dinner and drinks together in a setting that would be not just Leslie and I, but my sister was going to be there and some friends of theirs. Mm-hmm. And we were supposed to meet for the first time. There's a whole long story behind that. Yeah, we got the time. <laughs> so, well, first off, I did some homework. Before I went on the date, I went on Facebook and I looked up the name that my sister had given me and I found her Facebook profile. So I knew what she looked like before I arrived. You stalked her Facebook profile. I did. (laughs) (laughs) And when I arrived, as soon as I walked in the door, I said, that's her. I recognized her the moment I walked in the door. She did not know what I looked like. So I walked in the door and I cut right and went to the other side of the bar where I had a clear vantage point and could watch who was interacting and what was going on for a while in silence. What were you thinking? It was, I was, well, number one, I was waiting for my sister to get there because I was a big chicken and didn't want to go up and introduce myself. But I was just trying to observe. And I think Leslie will tell you, that's the way I enter any new situation. I usually stand off in a corner and I'll watch over top of things before I'll start to interact. And I did the same thing here. And as I was watching, I noticed another person had joined the table. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw that person walking around the bar to my left as I was still watching Leslie and I think my sister had joined the group at this point, them not knowing that I was there. And suddenly I realized somebody was standing next to me and it was the person who had been at the table with my sister and with Leslie. And when I looked left, it was a friend of mine who... I didn't know at the time ended up being a mutual friend of Leslie's (laughs) and her name is Sue. And I said, Oh my God, what are you doing here? And she hugged me and we talked, we hadn't seen each other in probably a a couple of years. And, uh, she said she was at that table. And I said, you're at the table with my sister and the girl I'm supposed to be going on a date with. (laughs) How do you know my sister? And well, 
ended up, I got up and walked over and then we, we started talking at the table and the whole table filled up quickly and we decided we needed to move to a larger table. So we moved to a different part of the bar, <laughs> sat down at the larger table and started to get into a conversation. And at that point, Leslie says, oh, I've been to your house. I met your wife and I spent Christmas Eve at your house. And I remember, I remember literally the, the blood leaving my head and thinking the world just went from really big to really small, really fast. And the first thing I did was say, I have to leave now. I, the world got a little too small for me, a little you too fast. You got freaked out. I got freaked out because here this person I'm supposed to be meeting is coincidentally a friend of not only my sister, but we have now a mutual connection between us. And she knows my soon-to-be ex-wife and has been to my house, and I don't even know anything about her. <laughs> so I exited the bar, and that was, that was what I would characterize as our meeting night. <laughs> you just got up and left? I did. I got up and said, I, I have to go. <laughs> what was going through your head? Leslie? The whole you... I was like, oh, okay. The whole table was like, whoa, what happened? I'm like, I don't know. They asked me if I said something. I'm like, not think I said anything. So I was like, wow, okay. Guess that one's not going to work out. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so that was the first meeting. Yes. Was, obviously, there was a second meeting. Otherwise, you guys wouldn't be here. Yeah. So after that, I figured I'd never see him again or whatever. And then his sister texts me. He's like, hey, Chris wants your number. Are you okay if I pass it on to him? And I was a little bit caught off guard by that. I was like, mm -hmm. really? He really wants my number? I'm like, okay. So she passed it along. And then he had reached out to me. And mm -hmm. we got together a second time, probably a week or two after that. Were you, were you interested in him and in the when you know in that first meeting? To be really honest, I was taken aback by him leaving so abruptly. <laughs> um, I mean, I know the situation was kind of weird, but I, I didn't think it was that weird. But I guess now, like seeing it from his perspective and hearing from his perspective, uh -huh. I could see that that would be a little unusual mm -hmm. for him. We, you know, I was like, hey, I, I'll give him another chance, mm -hmm. and I'm glad I did. So, Chris, how do you go from being freaked out at first meeting to wanting her number and wanting to move forward? I, it was something in the, in her eyes. We, when we were talking at the table before I had my meltdown moment, <laughs> she looked me straight in the eyes and had a conversation that you don't have with a lot of people. I mean, a lot of people don't look you straight in the eyes mm -hmm. and have that meaningful conversation. We had that meaningful conversation right at the, the very first meeting. Mm. And it just felt like something different. It didn't feel superficial. It didn't feel like I was meeting someone on a match date. It felt like I was meeting someone who was genuinely very interested in me. Mm -hmm. So afterward, after having a moment to settle down and having shared with my friends, I just went on what was supposed to be my meeting date and she's been to my house and was there and knows my <laughs> neighbors and my ex-wife and all of my friends even had the same ghastly reaction that I had. And then everybody went, what? And after that all kind of settled down that evening and I thought a little more about it, I said, I'd really like to have an opportunity to have a different conversation with her next time around. Mm -hmm. So we set up a date to meet at Galati's Hideaway 
March 14th, 2015, mm-hmm. for a Blackhawks game. Yeah. Okay. And that we now call our official first date and our anniversary date. Because it was just the two of you this time. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So how long were you guys together before you figured out you were a couple? How did that happen? I don't know if I can pinpoint a date. I think it was a natural progression. I mean, we pretty much saw each other at least a couple times a week from that point on after that Galati's date. And yeah. in various forms, whether it be a quick lunch, you know, dinner, doing something. And I just naturally, we just kept connecting every time we were together. That, exactly. I, after the first date, it was, we saw each other physically at least once a week, almost every single week after that. And we're really excited about getting back together every time we, we met up. Did you guys always like have plans for the next time or? <clears throat> no, we kind of. Just more hang out. We kind of fly by the seat of our pants. Yeah. It's like, hey, I, I, there's a band playing here. You want to go see them? Or, mm-hmm. hey, you want to come, you know, want to meet for lunch? So was, we did a lot of those sort of impromptu mm-hmm. things. Hey, you got time to meet for lunch today? Sure. Mm-hmm. We'd, we'd meet for lunch and then we'd meet for dinner. And mm-hmm. then I. It was you were really flexible because I still my kids were still pretty young. They, you know, one was driving, one wasn't driving. Mm-hmm. It was very new to me being a single mom. And I had, you know, we he was really good about working around when I had the kids and didn't have the kids. Mm-hmm. So when I didn't have the kids is when we normally would get together. And then when I was with the kids, he'd let me, you know, I, I'd be focused on them. So we had to work around that for, for a while. Did, did you have any like rules inside, I mean, inside your own head about the kids as far as like, you know, at this point, the relationship is going to be serious enough that I'm going to introduce him to the kids. Uh, it, it's, and that's know. another unique story. So I was very, you know, I did not want to be one of those moms that introduced my kids to 10 people or whatever the number might be. The person they were going to meet was going to be that person Mm -hmm. that I knew that I was going to spend the rest of my life with. And so Chris didn't even meet the kids for a long time. So we started dating in March. And I think the first time that we actually all did something together was probably around July, June or July. That's about right. So and and he was very respectful. And when I was with the kids, you know, I really didn't. We didn't talk. We didn't really didn't text all that much. I was really trying to be focused with the kids. And and then when I knew that it was the time for them to meet him, because they had approached me. We're not stupid, Mom. We know that you're you're dating someone. And they always right. know. Yeah, they know. <laughs> and um, and so I was like, all right, well, why don't we what would be a fun thing for all of us to do to all meet each other? And so we ended up going to, what is that, level 357, 257? And, mm-hmm. 257. Yeah, 257 at Woodfield. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'll tell you, it was the perfect thing for us to do. And we all rode in Chris's convertible. The kids had a blast. We all, I mean, we played games. We we really, I thought we connected. It, it worked really well. It was a perfect timing and setting for that. So up until that, I did have rules mm-hmm. where I was had no intention of, any kind of introduction until I knew mm-hmm. it was going to be a long-term thing. To me, I think that was the turning point where we became a couple. Why, why would you say that? Because I think even though she and I never explicitly had the conversation around the kids, I think we just intuitively agreed. I did not want to, I did not want to meet her kids and 
impose that sort of exposure to them mm-hmm. before we became a couple. And I think she had expressed to me that she was sensitive about that. But when it just happened, it happened comfortably mm. and everyone was happy. I think to me, I just sort of recognized, hey, we're in this. And this is when it actually mm-hmm. became a, a real thing. We're not just casually dating anymore. We're not uh, looking for an eject point. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's five months into it. Yeah, yeah and it actually right. was June because then I have a big family celebration for Fourth of July. Chris actually came to came with us to that event, and that's when Chris met my entire family. Mm. Up before that point, he had not met a sing- any of us, but I knew all of his family because I knew Heather. Mm-hmm. I'd met his mom. Obviously, I met his ex-wife. <laughs> so we're mutual friends. But. Yep. So what was it about the other person that you fell in love with? It was, for me, it was how easy everything was. When she and I had conversations, it was, to use a term I hear you guys use a lot, is synergy. Mm-hmm. We had conversations that were meaningful and we didn't find very many things through those conversations that we differed that we differed vastly on. We actually were really in agreement on so many important things. I mean, starting even implicitly on how to deal with exposure to the kids, everything just kind of flowed very naturally. There was no strain. There was no, no challenge. Um, and I, I, I think, I had never been around anyone that I had ever dated before in my life that just felt like everything clicked. I felt more like I had known her for years than months. Mm. How about for you? But not in a negative way. Yeah, no, not in a negative way at all. I, I, I would agree. I mean, it was the most natural thing I've ever experienced. And it just, every time we were together, we it would just grow and build and it was, it was, it was easy. We had that conversation so many times. It's like, it's, I was a little apprehensive because I'm like, this is too easy. This cannot be this way. And I remember even <laughs> one day calling Sue and I'm in tears because it's the first night that Chris had kissed me. And I knew that then I, that's when I was done. I knew that I was hooked and I called her. I'm like, I'm going to hurt him. This is so bad. And she's like, just go with it. I'm like, it can't be this easy. It can't be this great. There's got to be something, you know, something that's going to break it, you know, or, or turn it in a different direction. And uh, I'm glad that she gave me that advice to just go with it because it was the best advice I ever got. <laughs> I bet your sister, Chris, is really happy with herself. <laughs> <laughs> she reminds us of that every time we're yeah. here, too. It, it never escapes the the day. You know, I did this for you guys, right? Yeah. Yeah, she does remind us. Of the goodness of my heart. (laughs) Yeah. So here's a big question. How soon into the relationship did you have sex? I was very patient about that. And I'm I'll be honest. To me that was it was really important to me that if it was if I felt compelled to want to have sex with somebody almost immediately, I felt like it would cheapen the relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I waited two months. Yeah, we I, we joke about this because actually, I mean, we probably went out for at least a month before he even kissed me. 
Wow. Very and traditional. I, and it was interesting yeah. because we went out this one time and I even said to one of my friends, I'm like, if he doesn't kiss me tonight, that this is the last night. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> and that was the same night that he did. And I called my friends in tears going, oh, my God, I'm going to hurt him. That was just too good. This is not right. But yeah, it, it, we were yeah, very patient, which was a good thing because I think that meant a lot to me. Mm-hmm. It, I don't think I ever specifically stated it, but it meant a lot to me that if if I were willing to be patient like that, this was somebody that was worth being patient for. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a match date. It wasn't a quick hit and run. It was, I, I even remember as we were going on our third and like our fourth date, I haven't kissed her yet. And then every time I would consciously think to myself, but I don't want to push this and cheapen anything. Yeah. It'll happen when it's ready. That's a very conscious thought there. Yeah. It was well worth the wait. <laughs> was, was that meaningful to you as well, that he did take his time and didn't just try to hook up? Oh, yeah. Because I did I did the, the match dating scene for a little bit, and there's definitely different intentions there. Mm-hmm. And it was something that I'm not into. So mm-hmm. it, it was a nice, you know, breath of fresh air. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you guys are currently living together. Mm-hmm. When did that decision come about and how did you guys make that decision? That was relatively, relatively speaking, that was relatively quick. We moved in together at about eight months, right? Well, we if you say the official yeah, date so was March, March, we were actually moved in and he started moving in in December, right before Christmas. And then you're officially out of your apartment in January. Yeah. So about so, nine months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. About nine months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, what conversations, you know, occurred to to make that decision happen? You know, I don't remember to you. <laughs> you know, it was more of I. Yeah, I don't I'm trying to think of if there was a like a conversation. It was where he was pretty much staying at the house most of the time mm-hmm. anyways. And it was just like, OK, it kind of seems silly to have an apartment mm-hmm. that you never go to. And it was like. Okay, well, my lease is expiring anyways, and, and I can get an early out in January. And it's like, okay, let's let's do it. I mean, that that's, yeah, that was that a was conversation. It. Yeah, it was it was that simple. <laughs> it wasn't a long and involved process. It yeah. was wow, mm-hmm. this makes sense. And and I remember thinking, my lease is just about up, and I do have an early out clause because I think my my lease was officially due to expire in March but I could get out in January mm-hmm. as long as long as I had my stuff out by the end of December. And we just said, well, why don't we just do it then? We'll just, we'll just move in and I'll have all of my stuff out of the apartment by the end of December. And we'll, I remember trying to think through the holidays that year. And I don't remember where we went with that. But. With what? With the weather? You're yeah. How, no, how we handled the holidays that year, because I was actually moving through yeah. part of December, but yeah, we had Christmas at our house, at the house. I think you I think your family was there. I can't remember. Oh, yeah. They yeah, were, I'm pretty yeah. sure they were there. So, How was the first sleepover with the kids? Well, that had already been happening, but that didn't start happening until well after the June date. So June, we had the first outing when we met, you know, Chris met the kids. And, mm-hmm. and then it didn't really start where you'd stay when the kids were there until a little bit of time after that. Yeah, I'm trying that to remember. That was kind of natural. Okay. It know. wasn't one of those things. That, exactly. It wasn't one of those things that was so awkward. We were really hyper-conscious of it. I think we had 
done the advanced planning to introduce me mm-hmm. five, six months after we'd started yeah. dating so carefully and sort of gently got me talking with the kids and, and doing things together. Mm-hmm. And then it just sort of went comfortably to the next stage. And I don't think anybody expressed any awkwardness. No. And, and I had kept open conversations with the kids through the whole time. Mm-hmm. Like after they met, you know, we, Chris and, and June, you know, we had a lot of conversations, you know, about him, about the relationship. And, and I think they, they knew that because I wasn't introducing many people, it was that they only had met one person that they knew that it was something that was going to be permanent. And that made it a little bit different from their perspectives. Mm-hmm. So they, they, I mean, I, it just kind of naturally happened. You know, we'd be doing something with them or whatnot, and then mm-hmm. you know, it ended up just he'd stay. So, and they got comfortable about it, and I kept doing, mm-hmm. you know, temperature checks to make sure they were comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, right, Chris, did you run into some of the same considerations with your kids as well? My kids are all out, so I I had one that had moved into my apartment with me for a while, my youngest. And I had told her that I was going to be moving to Wakanda. And I actually extended the invite to her. The original plan was my youngest was going to move in alongside me mm-hmm. and she was going to stay in one of the bedrooms. And she just sort of elected out of it. How, it was, how old was she at the time? She would have been 18. Seven, yeah, 17. Right about, right about 17, 18. Freshman in college, she would have been. Yes, yeah. And she just elected out. It wasn't for her, so she went and lived with her mom, and there was there was no tension over it. Mm-hmm. Just decision she made. Right, and did not want to move to Wakanda. So okay, okay. So you both have have had kind of a a past before each other, and and Chris, I know you have kind of a, a story also, a personal story that and personal struggles that you've gone through as well. Maybe you guys can tell talk a little bit about. You know, what what was going on in your life before you guys met? Well, for me, I I dated briefly. My mine wasn't a particularly notable story. It, mm-hmm. I my my marriage of twenty years ended on a really, really bad note. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the law enforcement was involved and everything, and it was it was a really ugly situation that, that caused me to have to move out very quickly and to uh essentially almost seek asylum away from the house to get out of the situation. Mm. So that was very traumatic. And then I just dated briefly. Did uh, that, did that experience color, you know, dating for you to influence and affect dating? It did. It changed the way I look at how people pay respect for each other in relationship situations. And what I mean by that is, I started to pick up on key behaviors that would be red flag indicators that if I'm seeing this early on in a relationship, it's probably an indicator of a bigger problem. Mm. And I remember thinking precisely that when I was doing some dating, the person that I was dating at the time was demonstrating some of those key indicators. And I just said, "Okay, this is not for me. Mm -hmm. And I quickly exited that situation. Were Were you able to see any of those red flags in your marriage? (laughs) It's <laughs> a loaded question. <laughs> My marriage, I would have to say from literally year one of 20 showed 
signs that we probably were not a compatible couple. We didn't really agree on pretty much anything. We didn't agree on child rearing. We didn't agree on financial management. We didn't agree on the colors in the house. We didn't agree on furniture choices. We didn't agree on anything. Mm -hmm. But how, in retrospect, how we made that work, I don't even know. I can't describe how we made 20 years of that work. Yeah, it's a long time. And did you kind of have this you know, upheaval in your marriage or did you sort of tolerate it for 20 years? And No, there was a major upheaval in my relationship at about 16, 17 years. She had an affair. Mm. She had an affair with my best friend who was coincidentally my boss at work. Oh. And it was, it was an extended affair that she ended up coincidentally getting the kids brought into the situation and everything. And it was in my situation, I was not aware that the affair was, was going on. My kids learned of the affair. My kids approached me and said, none of them would tell me directly. What I got approached with was, don't you think it's strange that, and then they would describe situations to me. Mm. And I remember saying, no, I trust your mother. Mm. And, but dad, don't you think it's odd that, and they would give me another example. Mm-hmm. No. And they're trying it, to give you breadcrumbs. They were trying to let me, they were trying to lead me to the water so that I would right. drink on my own rather than dunking my head in it. And eventually it had, the whole thing came out. Mm-hmm. Um, How'd you find out? Off the top of my head, I can't remember specifically how. I ended up learning that it was indisputable. I, oh no, I take that back. Yes, I do. My three of my daughters orchestrated a very, very carefully managed intervention. The oldest, who is a college graduate and very strong in, individual, said she would, and she was living independently in a, a different state at the time. She offered to fly my youngest out to spend time with her and at the same time to have everything set up so that when my youngest was away from the house, my now ex-wife would have to come to me and, and admit her affair. And the way my daughters ended up orchestrating this was they collectively got together and confronted her. I learned about this later and they said, look, this is not what we were raised. Like we were not raised for this to, to put up this kind of behavior. Mm. We don't appreciate what you're doing. We don't approve of it. And it's time for you to fess up the situation. Evidently I learned in in retrospect that uh, it got very heated and she tried to tell the girls to mind their own business. And they said, no, this is our business. This is our family, too. And the girls told her, here's the bottom line. We're orchestrating it so that the youngest will be not home when you confess. Mm-hmm. And we're going to give you this many weeks. And here's the date during which the youngest will be out of town. If we don't find out that you have explicitly admitted your misgivings to dad, then Mm -hmm. 
then they're going to tell. We are going to tell. Yeah. We don't want to do that. That we don't mm-hmm. feel it's our place, but we're also not going to tolerate the behavior anymore. And that's precisely what they did. She ended up having to come to me and reluctantly admit what she had done. And at that point, I very calmly asked her to leave the house mm-hmm. and move out. So she did. And she lived a few miles away for about six months. That was when things took a whole new turn and our 15-year-old ended up pregnant. So it ended up then being a situation where I had to go back to her and say, look, we've got a pregnant 15-year-old. I can't deal with this. She's living with me. I can't deal with this alone. She needs her mom in this picture, too. Would you consider moving back in? And can we try to manage through this very difficult situation together? Mm-hmm. And we made that work for a couple more years. But yeah, that was a, a big, very trying That's time. Very trying. <laughs> wow. <laughs> now, when were when were you diagnosed? I was diagnosed with cancer. March in, of 2016. Yeah, March of 2016. So Leslie oh, and I so were guys, together a full year. Oh, wow. Okay. Yep. I was already living out here, living with Leslie. And had been complaining of a sore throat since the prior fall. And I told her, I've got to go and see a doctor about this. There's something wrong here. So she was, she actually took me in for all of my initial appointments and was Mm -hmm. there with me through the whole thing. Uh, Awesome. Let's pause on that one. I want to get back to Leslie, your, what was kind of happening in your life prior to you guys meeting? So in June of I come from a similar background Mm -hmm. where there was some extra marital activity on the other person's behalf. Mm -hmm. And um, that had gone on for about eight years, the last eight years of the marriage. Were you aware? I was. Yeah. Of the first one and not the ones in between until after my detective skills, you know, presented every all the information and facts to me. So when I found out about the the other activity that was June of 2013. And I just said, I'm done. I want a divorce. Mm-hmm. We actually ended up living in the same house because the kids were still young. We didn't tell the kids until the following February. So February 14. And we lived together from that June of 13 till I moved here in Wakanda in August of 14. That was hell. That was very trying. It was very difficult. Just the transition, kind of being on it your was, own? or No, it was very difficult living in the same household and yeah. not being able, or we had decided not to tell the kids until it was closer to the end of the school year. Oh, okay. So pretending and, you know, we did a pretty good job of, you know, acting. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course they could sense something and they, finally they started approaching us. And so we ended up telling them and it was about February of 14 that we were getting divorced and then ended up moving in August of that year, right before my son started high school mm-hmm. here. They they both went to school here in Mundelein. So that was one of the purposes of why I moved out here. My whole focus from the point when we decided to get divorced was the kids and myself. Mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure the kids were okay, but I also kind of was on a road of self-discovery. Mm-hmm. I did, a, you know, a lot of therapy. I mean, I I'd known my ex-husband since I was a senior in high school, mm-hmm. you know, and it, at that point, and we were already like 22 years into the marriage, mm-hmm. didn't know, I didn't even know who I was anymore. <clears throat> so I spent a lot of time trying to figure out who that person was, what I wanted for the rest of my life from an, 
from a standpoint of being a, you know, an individual as being a single parent, a single mom, as well as in a relationship. I really didn't know what I wanted. Mm -hmm. And I spent a lot of time, you know, a a long road of self-discovery to figure out what that was. And so when I moved here in Wakanda in August, it was to me, it was my newfound freedom. I had, I was ecstatic. The kids were ecstatic. I was ecstatic. I was extremely excited to be able to do this on my own, you know, and just be an independent person. So I spent the next couple of months just acclimating to that new life, making sure that the kids were good. I was good. I started dating right before I met Chris. I kind of did a little bit of the match stuff. It was not to find a relationship because I had already mm-hmm. went through that self-discovery that I was a-okay with being on my own for the rest of my life, if that was going to be what that is. But I more so did the match to really find, identify characteristics of the opposite sex that I either wanted mm-hmm. out, out of a person or not. And I, I really, I'm glad I did that. You know, I, mm-hmm. I went in with different intentions that most people do. And then when, you know, Chris and I will joke about this or comment about this all the time, that if I had met him that October, we probably wouldn't be here today when his sister first wanted to introduce mm-hmm. us because mm-hmm. I wasn't in a place. You didn't know what you wanted. I didn't know what I wanted yeah. and I wasn't still in my place of self-discovery of mm-hmm. who I was and what kind of partner I wanted in my life. The timing would have been way off for me. And so, I think it was ironic that the timing was because by the time him and I met, I did know. And it's funny because I did have like a checklist of, oh, I don't want a person that does this. And I don't want a person that does it. But I really like these characteristics. Mm-hmm. And that's how I knew Chris was the right person for me, because he met a lot of those characteristics of an individual I wanted to be in a relationship with long term. So. So when the first time you find out your husband is having an affair, how old are your kids? They are very young. My son was in kindergarten, kindergarten and second grade. Now, knowing what you know now, would you have done things different? You know, and I think about that question a lot. I think it's a very common question. I think yeah. a lot of people are concerned about the kids. But then looking mm-hmm. back, was that the best thing for the kids? Yeah, I, you know what? I I don't know. I mean, they were... we. People were shocked when they found out we were getting divorced. And you know what? And I have a great relationship with him today. Mm -hmm. I mean, he is, and I'll always say this, you know, he was, we were, you know, really good friends. We are great business partners. We're great parents. We just were not a good married couple. And we are a great married couple until we, from Mm -hmm. my point, the breaking point was when we had kids. So on on paper and from other people's perspective. Oh, people were shocked. You guys thought, they thought you guys had a perfect marriage. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, there's an interesting point, though, that that I did note. And when I came into the situation, her kid and her kids commented on this. Her kids had never seen another man hold their mom's hand, Mm -hmm. kiss their mom, hug, pay attention to affection, caress. There was no affection. Mm -hmm. So in in my mind, how people missed that, I don't know. Mm -hmm. How do you miss observing that? And but to this day, still, even as we're walking over here today, we hold hands everywhere we mm-hmm. go. One of the neighbors, 
who I don't even know who that neighbor was. <laughs> She's walking out to her car as we're on our way here today. She walked out and she said, it is so great to see a couple like you holding hands and, and, you know, walking together. And I thought, wow, it's really a shame yeah. that that's so unusual for right. people. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I, we don't go anywhere together where we're not holding hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes I think it makes other people uncomfortable. Like even my kids are like, oh, my God. You know, but, <laughs> Get a room. But it's also they have made many comments, though, that mm-hmm. they they know that they can see we really love each other. Mm-hmm. They are now comfortable with that kind of affection because they weren't comfortable with it because mm-hmm. Chris is absolutely right. I was very, very affectionate with my kids. So from a parental standpoint, mm-hmm. but from a relationship standpoint, and that was one of the things I did identify on my road to self-discovery is that if I'm going to sh- you know, do anything in a relationship, I want to make sure that it's to show the kids mm-hmm. different types of relationships. Yeah, role modeling. Exactly. Right. And, and they have commented that they like what they see mm-hmm. and they want to they want to model after that, which is great. So I think that's something that was to me worth all the difficult time that it was to, to mm-hmm. get where I'm at today. That is that is awesome. Awesome. So is there any advice you would give people who are in a marriage that is sort of falling apart or has like that kind of stuff? Toxic or, yeah. You know, interestingly, I had a similar conversation the other night on this subject and it's very difficult for me to look outside in on those situations and not give the advice that says, if these key indicators are there, it's time to pull the ripcord. Mm-hmm. Because I know some people just don't want to do that. They don't want to pull the ripcord. And that was kind of the conversation I was having with somebody else at just a matter of a couple nights ago. I sort of adopted this mantra early in my relationship that relationships are work. Mm-hmm. Work is hard. Work is something you have to constantly put an effort into. But beyond that definition, I don't think I ever was able to tell myself the story of, but what does hard work look like? Right. Does it really need to be so hard that every single day you're angry? Because I can honestly say that I spent the best part of 20 years waking up every day angry. But convinced that that was the right thing to do because I convinced myself that the anger was my issue. Mm. It wasn't her issue. It wasn't the kid's issue. It was my issue. And that as long as I continued working hard at it, it would eventually pay off. Do you still believe that? No, I don't. And I know that sounds blunt, but I don't. I really don't. I, I think there's a point at which the amount of effort that you put in for the returns that you're going to get become diminishing. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's more a point of diminishing returns Mm -hmm. and that's going to be different for every person. But I think if you can sort of define for yourself what that point of diminishing returns is, that's when it's time to start looking to get out because then it's healthier to be out of it than it Mm -hmm. is to be in it. Well, it sounds like it was the the wrong kind of hard work that you were putting energy into. Yeah. And that's why, and we talk, she and I talk about this all the time. We don't have to put any effort into this. This feels effortless Mm -hmm. every day. And what's so funny is on all fronts, we agree on everything from politics to how to manage money, to the music we listen to, to just, we haven't found anything that we have vastly differing opinions on, which makes all of that very easy. What do you like on your pizza? 
surprisingly similar the same thing. thing. Yeah. Yep. And maybe it's similar because we are, we respectfully know how to compromise too, mm-hmm. where you're not putting yourself in a position where you shouldn't be compromising. So I, I've sort of a, developed this new theory and it's based on my own observations and my own experience. I see there being in the marriage world, three different types of relationships. Mm. There's the relationship where one of the two looks out for themselves first Mm -hmm. and the other looks out for the other person first. So you've got one who's, who's more concerned about themselves and you've got the other who's concerned about the the first person. Mm -hmm. Then you've got the relationship where you have two people who are in it each of whom are into it for their own reasons and they look out for themselves first. That's a non-relationship. It's two people living together, but they're looking out individually for themselves first. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the rare relationship where you've got two people in a relationship. One person's focus is looking out for the other person first. And on the other side, their focus is looking out for the other person first. And that's where we are. She looks out for me first. I look out for her first. And there's always balance. That that is a fantastic perspective. There, we we actually have a perspective of there are four different types of couples. Well, look at that, pretty close, <laughs> right? Pretty close. <laughs> and, and this is kind of based on on a Buddha's perspective. Buddha had a perspective that there are four different types of people in the world, right? That there are people that move from darkness to darkness, people who move from light to darkness, people who move from dark to light. And people will move from light to light. Okay. And our, our whole take on this, the, the, you know, the next step up would be the four different types of relationships. Same thing, moving from the same, you know, darkness to darkness, which are couples who are, you know, coming from a place of, of negativity and they see negativity all around them. And then in turn, they are planting the seeds of negativity in their relationship, you know, blame, shame, conflict, judgment. And so they are now going to reap the same kind of negativity and darkness down the line. And then they have couples that are, they go from light to darkness, light, meaning that things are going well, they have the abundance, they have, you know, all the resources, but they come from a perspective of being holier than thou, pointing out, you know, the mistakes and in their partner, right? Judgment, and so now they are planting seeds that are going to lead them to darkness. And then there are couples that go from darkness to light and that they realize that they bring baggage into every relationship. They bring their negativity, everything that they've learned and their, their role models have taught them. And they need to learn how to resolve that. And they do that together and they plant the seeds of working together as a couple and they move towards the light. And then there are couples that move from light to light, right? They've not only have they figured it out, but they also are continuing to plant the seeds of creating that cohesiveness and synergy in the relationship. It's fascinating when you're talking about the three different couples because it just came to mind. You know, and I think too, um, obviously we work with couples. We've seen a lot of people go through divorce. And the first thing I'll, I'll tell people is nothing for a year. You have to get to know yourself. Totally agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to become the person you want to spend the rest of your life with or you will attract the same thing right back yep. into your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Exactly. I would agree with that completely. Yeah. I think in, in my case, I 
moved out of uh, my home of 15 years and my marriage of 20 in September. And Leslie and I started dating in March of the following year. So from that perspective, it was a little premature. But when I look back on my situation and when I define the point in time when my marriage ended, mm-hmm. my marriage ended when my girls had to intervene to oh, yeah. address right. that situation. Right. Yeah. My marriage ended in 2014. Mm-hmm. So I had actually had several years to adjust. I had to live under the same roof with the same person, but nothing ever worked again. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when I look at that six month gap where I was really a hundred percent on my own, I had been on my own in my heart for much longer. Right. And I had also sought counseling and, and a number of other things to have sort of that self-discovery and some of that was very deep, difficult self-reflection time that lasted for, of those a couple of years that passed there, a couple of them were, the within that same period of time, were, were very difficult self-reflective times. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot from it. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go would back to, yeah, yeah I would, I'm going to go back to a question because I don't know mm-hmm. if I really answer it. You said, would you... What advice would you have, have for someone? For someone mm-hmm. or would I have done it when the kids were younger? And I think I wasn't ready then. Mm -hmm. For some reason, I wasn't ready, whether it be my being scared, being unsure of what the life would be without, you know, husband and the kids and all Mm -hmm. under the same roof. I I just wasn't ready. Mm -hmm. And it was, I mean, I remember that point when I was ready. And I I was telling told him this a couple times. I, I went, I said, I'm that night I felt like there's a hundred pounds off my shoulders yeah. and it was the right time for me to do what I needed to do and be a strong enough person to do what I needed to do for myself and for, for the kids and family and for him. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I think it's really, you have to, you really have to really dig deep and ask yourself, you know, is now the right time? And, move forward with that decision Mm -hmm. and be solid with that decision when you make that time. So for me, when they were younger, it wasn't the right time. And now is the right time. And and for me, I really truly believe that the universe has a plan for us. And, you know, I, I say this to Chris all the time. I mean, I, I think he's really my soulmate and I feel very fortunate that I'm going to have the second half of my life with him because I'm, experiencing something I didn't experience before. And I'm so glad that I'll be given this gift, you know, to, to experience this and to truly know what love really is. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really believe that. And I, I'm just, I'm happier than I am. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and going back to what you were saying, Chris, about like, are you the type of person that watches out for other people? And I think when you are, unfortunately, you stop watching out for yourselves. And it sounds like both of you kind of had this, your relationship is having a problem in your face kind of thing. And then you got to actually be selfish a little bit and get to figure out what, what actually you guys needed as individual people. Yeah. Interesting. I was actually presented by a doctor to say, you, whatever's going on in your life, it's actually physically killing you. Mm-hmm. You need to do something different. And that to me was the eye opening point that I just couldn't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I had to make that choice for myself and, and 
Because your body knew. My body knew. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't be that strong person for everybody around me anymore. Mm -hmm. So I had to take a step back and it was probably one of the best best decisions I made for myself. Now to, to kind of go back to a pretty important topic here and that's you guys are started your relationship in 2015, 2016, you're diagnosed with cancer. And how does this affect your relationship? <laughs> I, I'll tell you that scared me really badly thinking I'm a year into probably the best relationship I've ever had in my life. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that struck me is I do not want to become her burden. And it, I was motivated to get better faster and to not be disruptive to the flow of sort of the family unit that we had created while I was sick. Mm -hmm. But it was difficult. I really tried never to impose on her. I tried to not ask anything of her. I tried to stay in the bedroom and just keep it away from the kids. And that was hard, but it was very important to me to not impose what I had going on, on the whole sort of family unit we had created. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What would you say? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a shock. I mean, I know I remember the exact point when he told me I was in town, out of town on business mm-hmm. in Atlanta and I could not get home on that flight home. My flight was canceled. I couldn't get on another Ugh. airplane and it was just killing me that I couldn't be there physically because I, I, I needed to be there. It, that was that was probably one of the worst nights ever I, I think mm-hmm. I ever experienced. But, you know, it it wasn't the, the relationship wasn't a question in my mind at all. You know, it was it had nothing to do with, you know, us and our relationship. And, and I never once had that thought of, oh, my God, what did I sign up for? Never, mm-hmm. never once that crossed my mind. I mean, I knew I was already I was already 100 percent into the relationship and nothing was going to mm-hmm. change that. I think the, you know, I mean, oh my God, I applaud the kids were phenomenal through that whole process and they had developed a strong relationship with Chris, you know, throughout that time. And they, they were just as worried and concerned and wanted to make sure that he was well and moving towards recovery and well as quickly as possible and whatever they can do. Mm-hmm. And they, they were absolutely amazing through it. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think that the entire environment of the household was positive and there was no neg- negativity in the household. And I think that really helped with the situation. Mm-hmm. I think and, it helped in my recovery and that, a lot. That po- mm-hmm. But that positive has been in that household, you know, since day one when I mm-hmm. moved in here. And it's just continued to grow, to grow with that family unit as our family unit is growing. There was, and I, I'll never forget this, there was another very meaningful turning point in our relationship during that time. I, I personally told the kids I was sick. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing the look on their faces and I could tell they were both shocked. And her daughter, after that moment on that day, would not leave my side. Mm-hmm. In fact, she and I, I, I was distraught and stressed out and really nauseated, sick over the whole thing. I went up to lay down in bed. Her daughter came up and got in bed with me mm-hmm. and laid there and cried. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was so upset. Mm-hmm. that I was sick, her daughter cried. Mm. And I, I knew there was something really special then. Yeah, that's yeah. just a testament to your relationship. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. And, and what, what type of cancer was it? What stage were you diagnosed on? You know, what's funny is it, it was stroke cancer and it, it's HPV related, mm-hmm. uh, which means that it was very likely handed off to me by my ex-wife mm-hmm. at some point. It's just a, a brutal fact. She picked it up somewhere and at some point in some one of the affairs that she had in the 20 years that we were together, she handed that off to me and mm-hmm. I had no idea. I don't even know where I was going. Stage was probably, oh, stage, I think yeah. it was like stage two. Mm-hmm. Um, so they caught it fairly early, mm-hmm. which was awesome. And it, I remember the one test that one biopsy, I went with him and the doctor came out and I, I knew then I thought he, we knew then that, but it was before they actually physically told us mm-hmm. that he had it. And the way the doctor looked, he's like, yeah, it's not looking good. So I had a little bit of time to prep, but I didn't say anything to Chris because I didn't want to, you know, because it wasn't conclusive. We didn't right. know for sure. Right. It uh, it ended up, unfortunately, mm-hmm. being what the gut feeling of the doctor was. So, but I think it was, they said, he said it was mm-hmm. I think ty- uh, type two. Well, what, what was yeah. funny about it was, and I, I think there was a deliberate attempt on the treatment team to not talk about that much mm-hmm. because yeah. I ended up having, a, I had four doctors. I had my primary care physician. I had a near nose and throat doctor. I had a chemo oncologist and I had a radiation oncologist. Mm -hmm. And of the many conversations I had with all of them, none of them explicitly sat me down and said, you have stage whatever. They actually avoided that Mm -hmm. part of the conversation. Right. right. Now they told me what type of cancer it was. They just Uh kind of avoided the stage thing. The only thing I knew about was that it was in an, inoperable part of my throat. It mm-hmm. was deeply embedded in the base of my tongue, way down by my vocal cords. And they said that if they were to have done surgery, mm-hmm. I ran the risk of having my tongue and my swallowing muscles likely paralyzed for the rest of my life, wow. which means I would never be able to swallow again. Yeah. yeah. So everything was done by radiation and chemo. With 100% recovery rate. So that's the mm-hmm. good part. That's awesome. How long did that take from diagnosis to recovery? That was a journey. Mm-hmm. So the treatment plan was, it started in March, it ended in May, but that's where they don't give you the whole picture. I had 38 radiation treatments. I had three rounds of chemo. And what they don't necessarily give you up front is the treatment is so brutal on your body that the, the treatment actually damages a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And afterward, both of my shoulders started to give out and I couldn't figure out why my shoulders were giving out. And I had chemo and radiation in my throat. Why are my shoulders giving out? Mm-hmm. And why am I having things like tingling in my toes? And there's a whole mm-hmm. host of other things that follow. I had physical therapy and a number of other treatments to, to address those. So the residual effects and the following treatment that had to go with the physical therapy, the treatment for the uh, the edema that was caused by it and everything else, that went on for another six months. Mm-hmm. And I'd say then beyond that, probably yet another six months to gain enough strength back to feel like I wouldn't blow over when I walked out into the wind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So from beginning to feeling sort of whole again was a little over a year. Wow. That is um, quite quite a stressor in any relationship, let alone a relationship that is 
been going on for a little bit more than a year. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and, and that is just very courageous and kind of what you both had gone through. Right. And, and being able to remain connected and strong together is, is very inspirational. Thank you. I don't, I never felt disconnected. I really never did. It was, like I said, I, I really wanted to not have my illness become disruptive to the family, but the family stayed involved. I felt like I always had a support network mm-hmm. between Leslie, her daughter, and I've got some family in the area. So, you know, all things considered, it was very stressful, but coming out of it, how long would you say it took before? Because you told me that you didn't see me the same way for a while because I just kind of lost my personality. Yeah. Yeah, I would say it was probably about a year. Maybe you started seeing it back in the fall. So if you finished treatment in, in May, then it was more towards the latter part of the fall. How did you cope with that? Yeah, see, the whole treatment process, like that whole treatment um, time period, everything was fine. It was the post that I think I had the most difficulty because, you know, I was like, all right, everything's over. He's going to be back to normal. <laughs> and he wasn't back to normal. And it, it, that was really hard on me hmm. because I didn't know if I would see that person I fell in love with and not that I changed because I still was in love with them but the person was different like is this our new post treatment and yeah and it was yeah that was really really that was for me a really Mm -hmm. difficult time but you know different physically different emotionally mentally um you know I I wanted immediately the you know, active, fun, mm-hmm. adventurous Chris back. And, and, you know, he wasn't that person yet. You mm-hmm. know, he was still recovering. He had to get his strength back. You know, he, it was different. He was battling his own issues, the swallowing, the, you know, there was, there's a whole host of things that mm-hmm. happen post-treatment right. they don't tell you about. That is, I think, the most difficult time for the family members. Mm-hmm. They really should prep you for and coach you through a little bit better. Right. So, but, you know, at least to give you some hope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, that, slowly they did a good started, job at that. They gave us a lot of hope. Yeah, and slowly started seeing signs of him coming and back coming and back. coming back. And, right. you know, I'm, I'm glad I was patient, you know, and, and let him go through that, you know, that recovery period because I'd say that you're, you're pretty much all back, which is good. <laughs> <laughs> for better or for worse, I'm right, all back. Right. <laughs> So, so thinking back, what is it that you guys learned from your parents and how did that impact your marriages and how does it impact your relationship now? What lessons you learned or, or didn't learn? Mm-hmm. Mine's probably shorter than yours. <laughs> my, my parents were not a stellar example. I mean, I'll, I'll share that right up front. Yeah. Mine's ditto on that too. I agree but with my own. I think one of the things that I, that I learned through my parents that, sort of tainted the way I looked at some things and allowed me to stay in a bad marriage for a long time was, again, the idea that a marriage takes work. But understanding how much work and how painful that work needs to be, I think is an an important... And how to actually do the work. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) But there was also this other message that every couple argues. Every couple has fights. And I had convinced myself that 
any couple that says that they don't fight is lying mm -hmm. because I, I had this ideal in my head that there is no such thing as a couple that doesn't fight. Everybody fights, everybody argues, and I don't feel the same way anymore. And so I won't say that there's no such thing as disagreement, mm -hmm. but she and I have never had an argument and we've never fought in almost three years. And I don't feel like it's something that we would ever do. And the reason being is because we can have rational, sound, respectful dialogue on disagreement. Mm -hmm. On the rare occasion that we do, we can disagree and go, oh, I can see that perspective. I understand why you feel that way. Mm. And we can reach a rational end to that conversation, give each other a kiss and go to sleep. And that's how easy it is. 20 years before that, I never saw that one time. Every argument was almost to the level of being violent. Well, that's, that's quite some extremes there. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys don't ever get angry with each other? No, I think we, I mean, we get angry with each other. Yeah. But it's a different kind of angry. I mean, it's a, I mean, we can talk, we can generally talk. I, I, I mean, I, well, I'll go back to answering the first question about my parents because mm -hmm. that right. will draw a <laughs> paint a really clear picture of me. So my parents stayed married, but should have never been married. I spent most of my childhood that I can remember figuring out ways to keep my parents married. And it was a very mm. awful situation. My parents spent most of my childhood not speaking any words to each other. Mm -hmm. well, and it was unfortunate because I brought that into my first marriage where, you know, and mm -hmm. that I shut down, I don't talk. And it's, you know, and I have to take some time to process through things before I can have a conversation. She talks to me. <laughs> and, and, and that's, you know, that is one of the things that from the get-go with, with Chris's, I've never felt I couldn't say what I felt. Mm -hmm. And that was, even in the beginning, he would mention, I mean, he'd be like, you, you know, you need to talk to me. And I tell him, I shut down. I need time to digest. I need to figure things out. But I always talk to him, whereas historically I won't talk. And that's, to me, been a big game changer mm -hmm. in this relationship. Because that's, that's the actual work that you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and it's sometimes it's really hard for me to talk. Mm -hmm. But as we are continue, you know, our relationship, it's even from day one, I, I have always talked. He might have to kind of pull it out of me a little bit. But and even today, I think it's even less and less of that where I'm comfortable enough for mm -hmm. with us, our relationship, the strength of our relationship that I can talk about things mm -hmm. um, and that. So the negativity I took out of my parents' relationship and there was no affection in my parents' relationship. I didn't even know what that was, you know, similar to what my kids saw, took that to my first marriage. And I know that was, you know, I'm not going to blame 100 percent on him. I know I was a contributing factor to that mm -hmm. for some of those specific reasons. And I knew I didn't want to bring that into a third relationship. So I, you know, I mean, the family relationship, then my first marriage and this relationship, I didn't mm -hmm. want to bring that. And I it's a completely different refreshing situation and I love it. I love the fact that I, I've been able to overcome that, but I think I didn't do it. I think he mm. helped me do it and our relationship <laughs> did it. So it's, it's been a night that's to mm -hmm. me, it's been a very positive things 
for this relationship. And we don't, we don't fight. I mean, we talk, we respectfully disagree. Mm. We value each other's perspective. I, I mean, I, I value his perspective on everything and I may not see eye to eye necessarily, but the other side of it is I'll say, Oh yeah, you know, thinking about that, that is a good perspective on it. And you know, I'll absorb it and I'll apply it. And that's, I think, the the big difference between other relationships I've had in this one. You know, one of the truths is that we get wounded through relationship and we heal through relationship. And it sounds like you guys are doing a really good job with that. Mm-hmm. And, and it would make sense that given your past history, both of your histories and relationships, that one of the unwritten rules in the relationship is that you talk out your feelings, talk out your thoughts. You don't keep anything to yourself. Or right? text them. Put everything out good, on the table. I'm a good texter. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is fine. Every every relationship, they have their own venue of, you know, conversation and communication, which works for them. But w- what would you say are some of the other unwritten rules in your relationship? You always have to kiss the person goodbye and say you love them yep. before you leave. Okay. And Absolutely. when you come home... Yep. That if you're away from each other, mm-hmm. you have to text so I know that you're safe and okay. I completely agree. And oftentimes, maybe not every single time we leave the house or whatever, but we, we always give each other a kiss goodbye and to tell each other as often as we can that we love each other. But it's I, not just telling because it's the difference with saying those three words and meaning those three words. It was like showing it. And that's affection. the one thing I said from the beginning. Don't ever say it unless you don't mean it. You know, right. so when unless you say it, it, or when you, yeah, only say it if you mean it. Only say it if you mean it. And that's something I think that we do. We, we do only say mm-hmm. it if we mean it, which thank God never had a situation where we didn't want to say it. So <laughs> do, do you think that, having both been hurt by partners the way you guys have been, it makes you more careful with each other. It definitely does me. I mean, I look at the situation with her greatly differently than I've ever looked at any other relationship. And I feel easily compelled to want to go out of my way for her because I've found this, interesting reciprocating energy the further out of my way i go for her the further out of her way she goes for me and it just creates this cycle of energy that i think we both thrive on couple synergy exactly <laughs> yep <laughs> i wasn't even trying to endorse you guys on that one so we did not pay him to say that <laughs> So do you think it also affects how the two of you navigate friends of the opposite gender how would you answer that? I'm trying to think how I'd answer that. <laughs> I'd say yes, probably. For the most part, you know, we, you know, our friends are collective friends. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm not sure how to answer that one. I have some women who are friends mm-hmm. that I'm very comfortable being around. She seems less comfortable when I'm around them if she's not right there with me. Mm-hmm. But I feel secure in our relationship to the extent that if she's around other men, it isn't something that given my experience, I feel compelled to have an absence of trust. Mm -hmm. I mean, my 
just sort of natural approach, not a book read approach or anything else, but my natural approach is to extend trust first. Mm-hmm. But if you take that away, I have a very difficult time ever giving it back. Mm-hmm. But are there any other, any unwritten rules in, in regards to this, this area? You know, like, do you, you know, you can go for coffee, but you can't go out to dinner with, uh, you know, a, a friend of the opposite gender, you know, something, you know, along that lines. I've never thought a lot about that. Yeah. I've never put a lot of thought into it because mm-hmm. I guess my whole trust mantra is as long as getting naked's not involved. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's pretty clear. Cut. <laughs> <laughs> well, your, your final question, Jane. Yeah. How do you know your partner loves you? You can tell it by the way they look at you and their actions. And even most of the time, I mean, and what they say. What, what specifically does he do that really lets you know he loves you? He won't let me leave without giving him a really good kiss in the morning. <laughs> you know, whenever I'm down, he picks me up. He doesn't point out my faults. I mean, it's, he's really positive. I mean, it's, it's supportive, positive. I mean, all those characteristics that you wish for. And he makes me a better me. Mm-hmm. That's the bottom line of it. You know, and, and when I'm down, he can he can pick me up, you know, or if I'm struggling through something, he can help me find a path, you know, out of that struggle. Does he pay attention and know that or do you have to ask for that? No. See, that's the one thing that's great is he's you don't ever have to ask him anything. You don't even have to ask him to do the dishes. I mean, he does <laughs> everything without even being asked, which took me a long time to get used to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's just natural it's not anything that i have to once in a while i'll have to say oh you haven't kissed me in the last hour <laughs> but that's about it no it's he makes me a better me he makes me happy that's awesome to me it's accumulation of a lot of things but one ever since the first time i met her looking in her eyes i feel like i'm looking in her soul i know that sounds so cliche but <laughs> I can see happiness when I look in her eyes. The happier I see her, the happier I feel I am. Mm. And there's this other little thing that we we do with each other, which I think is very meaningful for couples. Um, and that is we've sort of created a little nicknames for each other that we use that are self-supporting for the other person. I call her my sunshine. She is my sunshine. I text it to her every day. We even have our own little Facebook page that we set up, and it's called My Sunshine. <laughs> really? It's a closed Facebook page. Fun. That is fun. And we'll share private little messages and things on there, mm-hmm. upload a song or a video or just say something out there. We haven't used it a lot as of late, but we, we keep it, and it's called mm-hmm. My Sunshine. And she has always referred to me as handsome. And that's sort of her coin nickname for me, and it makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. And I think the same on the other end. I can see that when I call her sunshine, it makes her happy. And those little things, little things that go so far in making the other person happy. I find that you use the, the example that I gave you before. 
I was in a relationship where my ex-wife was interested in making sure she took care of herself mm -hmm. and making sure that everyone around her took care of her too. Yeah. So my motivation was to keep her happy. Her motivation was to keep her happy. Mm -hmm. And it was extremely draining of energy because it felt like I never got a break. I felt like I was always having to try to find something more to push in her direction right. that she could consume. And in our relationship, I feel like any little something that I give in her direction is reciprocated by equally as much in return, if not more. Mm. And it just, like I said, it, it builds. That is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Well, Chris and Leslie, we, we want to wholeheartedly thank you for joining us today. And for all those listening to Couple Synergy, thank you very much as well. Sharing stories has been part of the human experience since the beginning of time. We hope that by sharing your story, it has enriched your lives and the lives of our listeners. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. For all you listening, if you have any questions or topic suggestions, again, please feel free to leave a comment or look us up online at couplesynergy.com. Until next time. You have been listening to Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean Kedkodian. Couple Synergy was recorded, edited, and produced by Dr. Ray and Jean Kedkodian, along with Organizational Director Calvin Javier and Marketing Coordinator Bridget Reese. Voiceover and music entitled Breathe and Let Go was recorded and composed by Gina Gonzalez. <laughs>